Welcome to the Postpartum Wow, the show where moms share their raw, unfiltered postpartum moments. I'm your host, Sarah Allen, and I'm a first-time mom who was completely broadsided by postpartum depression and anxiety. I'm here to show the not-so-pretty side of becoming a parent, and I hope you hear something that resonates with you because, let's be honest, the postpartum experience is nothing like we imagined. But along with the struggles come glimpses of hope. So buckle up and hold on tight, and let's get to it. Hello again, all. Thanks for joining me once again, Postpartum Wow. Uh, I've got a very special guest with me today. You guys, this gal has been with me through it all. We have known each other since we were kids. Uh, Really got close after high school, became adults, realized what adult uh, adult life looks like. And decided, uh, yeah, we need to be, we need to be each other's person. So, this is Sherry. You guys, say hi to everybody. Hello. She is my like to call her my mama in crime. Mm. We uh, we did a lot of th- things together. We got married the same year. Mm-hmm. We met our husbands around the same time. I think you met your husband a little bit before I met mine. When did you meet yours? Uh, was it fall of sixteen? Yeah, so I met Neil um, summer of 16, so it was June, July uh, 2016. Gotcha. Yeah, so we got married around the same time. Mm -hmm. About five months apart. Yep. Sherry became a mom first, a year before I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she had her second, or was it before? No, it was a couple years before. Yeah, because we had Eli just a few months before. That's right. She had her second baby just a couple months before I had Diana. Mm -hmm. So she already knew the ins and outs of what postpartum would look like. Um, So she was my (laughs) go-to through Mm -hmm. a lot of the, the first few weeks there. But before we get too deep into her story, like I always do, my little disclaimer, um, just be mindful that uh, we are not medical professionals. The thoughts and opinions we express here are our own. And trigger warning for those of you currently in the throes of perinatal mood disorder, please be mindful as you listen to this episode. So I'm going to hand the floor over to Sherry. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about herself and husband, kids, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I always knew I wanted kids. Always. Uh, there was this slight period there when I was dating a guy with kids, and I'm like, ooh, maybe not. But, um, yeah, Neil and I met 2016. Um, he's actually from Scotland. Uh, you'll hear it when he has his episode. You'll hear it. Um, but so he lived in Scotland when we met. We met here in the States, though, at a gym that's owned by a mutual friend. He was visiting, and I had just started to attend like the six months before that. Um so let's see, met June, July. I went over to England for a work trip in September, October. And that's so we got to spend a few days together then. And um we mainly just communicated via Skype, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, whatever. That's how we communicated and just really got to know each other. Um so then February 2017, I traveled over to spend a week with him. And that's when he proposed. And like, we knew it was happening. We talked about it. So it wasn't like a, oh, surprise, you're getting engaged, you know, 
eight months after you met <laughs> to a guy that you've only spent a few days with, um, which really freaks people out. But it was one of those, like we knew each other emotionally, like through communication and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't really know each other much in the, like around each other. So like when he moved here, it was the little things that you figure out, you know? Um, but so we got engaged then and started the whole visa process of him coming here. Um, that took just over a year. So 2018 is when we got married. Um, we had 45, no, 90 days from when he got here, hence 90 day fiance. We had 90 days to get married after we got here. We, we split it down the middle. We did 45, you know, give us, give ourselves. Which I feel like that entire process should be its own podcast episode. If you guys ever start your own (laughs) podcast, it should be how to fill out the visa and do that whole nonsense. Cause I remember you guys talking about what a nightmare that was. Yeah. Cause like you can hire a lawyer to do it for you for like five grand every time. Oh, good grief. Instead, we spent the, you know, like about a grand because it's usually about seven, six to $700 plus like a biometrics fee, which is 80. So you're spending 750 to $1,000 just depending on for each step of the process. So like I had to um, petition for him to get a visa and then he had to apply for the visa. And then... Um, then he had to apply for a temporary green card. So that's two years. And then you apply for your 10-year green card after that two years, which, of course, that hit right as we were having Riker. Like, we meant to submit the paperwork the day we went into labor. Because, like, you have oh so much time to get it submitted. And so we got it submitted. Neil sent it the day after. Well, I guess technically it was the day of. Um and then, of course, they come back, oh, you submitted it too soon. No, oh, good. We thing. thought we had to have it sent in by the beginning of that, whatever. No, it has to be within. And, like, we sent it just a few days before that window. They didn't receive it until, but, oh, no, it was all dated before. So they had to, we had to resend all of it. But mm-hmm. he's a citizen now. So. Long story short, yes, he is a citizen now. Long story short, he is now an American. <laughs> Very proud. Um yeah, but so married 2018, March. We knew we wanted to wait a year before we started trying to have kids because like we hadn't been physically together and we just wanted to have that time to really get used to being in each other's physical presence, being married, just enjoying that. Um, But we also didn't want to wait too long. Neil's not as worried about it as I am, but we have a 10-year age gap. So, of course, like, I'm like, man, think about how old you're going to be when your kid turns 18. But I feel like it's there's much more pressure on the mom than there is yeah. the dad yeah. when it comes to getting the ball rolling. Well, and that's like, that was his whole thing. He's like, I can have kids until, you know, I'm like, whatever age. And I'm like, yeah, but do you But really- you can't. <laughs> well, there's that. But it's also just like, do you want to, you want to be there for your kids? You know? So, like, it's, that's why I always like, think about how old your kids are going to, or how old you're going to be when your kid turns 18, you know, like he'll be 56 when Riker, our oldest turns 18. And it's like, that's crazy. He's going to be, so he'll be what? 58. Yeah. 58 when Eli turns 18. Hmm. But um, let's see. So we started trying. Yeah. A year after 
we got married. We started trying that March. So a year after. And we just, um, it feels like it took a lot longer than it did. But like, I, I'd never had a regular cycle, really. So and like, figuring out when you ovulate. That was the biggest thing for us was figuring out when you ovulate. And when you don't have a regular cycle, that's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. You're just like, okay, well, <sighs> thanks. And they're like, oh, well, you can track your basal body temp. And I'm like, I don't sleep four hours in one go. Like that's back when like I just started treating my anxiety. So sleep was still questionable. Um, so like I, I wouldn't get four hours straight. Like I'd be waking up a lot at night. So that wasn't, that was nothing. <laughs> but discharge, <laughs> that was the the thing for the us. kicker. Yeah, that's what that's what helped me figure it out. Um, so it felt like it took a lot longer than it did. Uh, let's see, we started trying in March, like beginning of March, and we got pregnant beginning of August, August, July. Like it's always weird because of course they go off your last period. So right. Yeah. The 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 whole math of figuring out what week you are we, yeah. never made sense to yeah. me. So when we technically got pregnant, it was August, mm-hmm. but of course it went from July. But um, yeah, we got pregnant the week my grandma passed away. I remember that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think if I remember correctly, it was even like the night that my sister-in-law had her appendix removed. She's like, wait a minute. So when I was in the hospital, you were, yep. Yep. It's like, hey, you wanted this. You wanted us to have a kid. Don't complain. Exactly. I couldn't be there for you. (laughs) But um, so like, of course, as soon as we started trying, my body's like, oh, you want to try to get pregnant? Let me give you all the symptoms of being pregnant, but you're not. So you're going to constantly think that you are. That's mind-blowing, too. Like, the phantom symptoms when your mind wants it so much. Yeah. Like, I'd be nauseous. I'd be, like, my boobs would be sore. You know, like, all these things. And I'm like, nope. Nope. Like, I was was going crazy. And it only took, you know, five months. Which is a long time when you're... Mm -hmm. When you're in the throes of it, it feels like an eternity. Yeah. Um... But so finally when it did happen, like I'd been kind of nauseous all day and I was like, you know, I'll get a test on my way home, whatever. I doubt it, but picked up a couple tests on my way home, just the, you know, the cheap Walmart ones. And not that it really makes a difference which one you get. The cheap ones are what the doctors use. Exactly. So (laughs) pro tip, don't go bankrupt buying pregnancy tests. Yeah. Get the, get the cheap ones. Um, and so, like, I hadn't peed for four hours. Got home. I mowed the lawn. Neil got home. He helped me with some stuff. I went inside. I was going to go take a shower. So I was like, all right, I'll take the test now. You know, haven't peed in four hours, so should be good. And um, was getting ready to take the shower. Looked at the test. Still negative. And I'm like, I almost threw it away. I almost threw it away. And but I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a little bit longer. Took my shower, got out, two lines. And I was like, no freaking way. No way. (laughs) Did you take another one right away or did you wait? I waited until the next morning. Like since we already had the positive on like, you know, not first morning. I was like, all right. Chances are it's real. So um, in my towel, walk out and hand Neil the pregnancy test. (laughs) And we're both just kind of like, seriously? And yep, it was real. 
Uh, so yeah, next morning, darker line, because of course, first morning. But, um, and of course, with my job, like I have to let at least my boss know right away, because my job affects it. Um, certain things I can't do. Um, so I guess for listeners, I'm a, I'm a chemist. And I work around a bunch of chemicals that if you're pregnant, you can't be around. Um, so of course, it, it changes my job. Like, there's most of where I work when I'm pregnant, I cannot go. I have to, I'm basically restricted to my department and that's it. Um, which is kind of boring. Yeah, it would be <laughs> in your line of work. Yeah. Like the one department I can go to is the one department that I'm like, mm, I don't like you. So I'm just going to stay out anyway. <laughs> but um, so of course I had to tell my boss right away. So people found out pretty quick because suddenly my job duties changed. <laughs> It's like, wait, why is she confined to uh, this certain area? Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, which is funny because when we got pregnant with Eli, it actually like people didn't find out for quite a while because I basically still wasn't doing those things because my coworker had taken over most of that already. So he just kept doing it. <laughs> and so not much changed when I had Eli. So, of course, people didn't know. One of the guys at work was like, man, I thought you were doing pretty good losing weight. And then I noticed that, you know, like you're getting bigger again. I'm like, oh man, she's really letting herself go. It's like, no, I'm pregnant. Thanks a lot. Like, I'm having another child, but thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's all right. He's one of those guys that, you know, like open mouth, insert foot. So, um, so yeah, we were pregnant. We had a textbook pregnancy. Um, I hate, I hate being pregnant. Hate it. Um, the morning sickness wasn't horrible. It wasn't great either. Like I ended up on Zofran, um, mainly because I ended up with a stomach flu mm. for a couple days. And that's when they gave it to me because like, I just wasn't keeping anything down. Um, so I had it then. But mainly, you know, Unisom B6 took care of most of it. Not not much of an issue. Sleeping always helped. Um, that was the harder part with having a second was... Can't sleep as much? Yeah. Taking a nap isn't necessarily an option. So... That was harder, but um, we did the genetic testing right away, so we knew that we were having a boy, and my husband's family is boys. We are fourth generation to have all boys, um, so it's, it's kind of what we figured, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, we didn't see the OB until, what, 11, 12 weeks, mm. and then just normal anatomy scan at 20, and you know, glucose test 28, whatever, everything was just totally, totally normal. Going by the book. Yep. So yeah, we did end up in the hospital one time um, because I couldn't feel Riker moving, which uh, with Riker, we had an anterior um, placenta. So it meant like it was on the front. So feeling him move was a lot harder. Um, like we were in there and she's like, oh yeah, he's moving. He's moving. Can you feel that? No. No, I sure can't. <laughs> well, everything was fine. But it was a little scary. Because, um, of course, you know, like, you don't, you don't want to lose your kid. I don't remember how far along we were at that time. But, um, like, my dad was at our house working on our bathroom that day. And I show up at home, like, hey, I can't feel my kid moving. No. <laughs> and he's like, if there's anything you need, just let me know. So, of course, yeah, Neil ended up coming home. But, um, 
Let's see. I was really hoping I would go early for labor because, of course, the lovely pandemic began Mm. right at the end of our pregnancy. Because let's see, it really hit our area around March. Mm Mm-hmm. And we it were seemed due, like a month before he was born that it got nuts. Yeah, and we were due end of April. Um, so, you know, we, of course, at that time, we didn't know how dangerous it was or wasn't. And my job wouldn't let me work from home, even though, like, I was pregnant. But, of course, they didn't want to make special circumstances. Whatever. Um, even though they were sending a bunch of people home to do work from home. But my job, I can't do from home, so even though there was stuff I could do from home. So we were really kind of hoping to go early, um, just for that reason, to get us home where we could be safe. And uh, of course, this was also when, you know, like all the rumors flying of, we can't have your significant other in the hospital while you're having your baby. Which to me is like, at that point, it's yeah. not so much about, yes, you need your significant other as your support person, but it's the father. Right. It's their kid, too. Yeah. And I'm their, like, you're their wife, you know? But luckily, that never went into effect in our area, ever. Like, that was never, that was like a New York thing. But um, so we ended up, I saw the doctor Friday, and he's like, oh, you're at one centimeter. No time soon. You got time. I'm 37 weeks. So, Monday morning, I go to work. I work 7 to 3.30. I go in the lab. Someone's like, oh, when are you going to have that kid? And I'm like, oh, don't know. Walk into my office, sit down, my water broke. I'm like, okay, well, today. I guess today. Today. Answer your question. Yep. And of course, you know, like I've seen, even if your water breaks, they want you to labor at home until you're oh so far, blah blah So I call the triage and they said, go ahead and come in. Like, your water broke, you're having this baby today. Um, They're like, you don't have to rush. You can go home, take a shower, whatever. But you head this way. So I called Neil. He didn't answer. Naturally. (laughs) So I called his boss. And I'm like, hey, is Neil there? Yeah, give me a minute. And then I hear all this commotion. And I'm like, what is going on? And he puts Neil on the phone. And of course, Neil had he like he always freaks out whenever I call him, and like it's not a normal thing for me to call. He always thinks that something's wrong. And I was like, well, "We need to go to the hospital. We're having a baby." What? My water broke. We're having a baby. It's like I, me, you need to meet me at home. Okay. Okay. Good. Sweet. So most of my coworkers come into work at seven thirty. Well, of course, that day is the day that my boss decides to be late. So I'm trying to get a hold of him or like waiting, waiting him out so I can be like, hey, I'm not going to see you for like six to eight, whatever weeks. (laughs) Deuces, you know? (laughs) So finally, I just leave and I called him. I'm like, hey, I'm in labor. (laughs) See ya. And got home. Neil beat me home because, of course, I was trying to wait for my boss. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so my when my water broke, it was really gentle. Like, I wasn't even sure that that's what had happened. It almost felt like just a ligament had popped over something. It was just super gentle. It's not like it is in the movies, you know? That's what always baffled me. It's just like yeah. this big gush, and then stuff yeah. happens. And Well, and uh, apparently your water breaking isn't very common. Like, most women, that's not what sends them into labor, which is funny because um, 
one of my other friends, that's how she went into labor. My sister-in-law, that's what happened with her first. Uh, that's what happened with my mom's, both of hers, both of mine. Like, my water broke. And, but it was just really gentle. I went to the bathroom and it wasn't until like, I wouldn't be peeing and something would come out. And I'm like, okay, yes, sure enough. But by the time I got to my car, and it's, it's a walk to my car, but by the time I got there, I had water, amniotic fluid down to my ankles and my pants. And I'm like, this is great. I get to drive home like this. This is great. Sopping wet. <laughs> yeah. So I put a hoodie down on the seat to try to keep it dry. And of course, the whole drive home, which is, it's about 15, 15, 20 minutes, depending on traffic, the whole drive home, like I can just feel it coming out. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is so weird. So weird. Get out of the car, drip on the garage floor. Um, <laughs> go inside. And of course, Neil's in like frantic, we got to go mode, whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to shower before we go. He had to help me get my pants off because they were like glued on. Um, Is amniotic fluid an adhesive apparently? No, well, it was, it was basically like wet jiggings. So they were, they were quite stuck. But so he helped me get them off. I showered, got dressed. Um, yeah, I think most, most, quite a bit of the amniotic fluid had gotten out by then. So I was pretty good. Um, so we left, went to the hospital. His blood pressure was like through the roof. Aww. And poor Papa. Yeah, we got there. And like, so for the hospital we go to, you go into the like uh, birthplace triage is where you check in and they make sure that you're in labor. Like, so for me, they would make sure that my water broke. Um, so while we were checking in, we stood up and the lady that worked in the office, she's like, is my chair wet? It's like, yeah. She's like, well, I don't think we need to go to triage. We can just go straight to labor and labor delivery. delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we did, we went straight to labor and delivery they asked if I was having contractions, and I was like, no, no, I can't feel anything. To get me all hooked up, and they're like, yeah, you're having them every five to six minutes. And it's like, oh. News to me. Cool. <laughs> and, um, but, like, since labor wasn't really anything, and, you know, like, once your water breaks, you have so much time, otherwise you start risking infection. Uh, so they started me on Pitocin, um... Because, like, I was not dilated. I was still at, like, a one, one and a half. So they started me on Pitocin. Um, got the IV, all that good stuff going. Um, and my plan was to go as natural as I could. But, of course, go with the flow. Do what I need to. So let's see. We got there about, I think, nine. Nine is when we got all, got it all started. And um, just kept just kept laboring sit on the ball, move around, do this, do that. We tried the tub because it was getting pretty painful. They were having to adjust the Pitocin because like my contractions were really close, but they needed them to be stronger. So like they couldn't just turn it up because then they're like, you you would just be having a constant contraction. So they had to like adjust the bolus so it would be harder, but not close together kind of deal, whatever. So we tried the tub and while we were in the tub was when I was, when I had the like, cause my mom's labors were really short. I was her longest at four hours and 
So like we were hoping, you know, I'd genetically follow her, but no. So 4.30 that afternoon was when we decided to get the epidural because I was like, if if I'm going to have the energy to give birth later, I'm going to need some relief. Um, it was getting to the point where like, I could, I could handle the pain, but my body was really struggling. Like I was getting nauseous. Um, I was shaking. So it was just, it was becoming too much for my body. And like I hadn't eaten because my water broke before I, I had eaten. I didn't think to eat before going. You know, at that point, you're just so like, oh my goodness, we're having a baby. You're not, you know, as a first time mom, as a second time mom, you're like, oh yeah, should probably eat before we go. Because once you get there, you can't. Um, so 4.30 is when we got the epidural. And it went it went much faster. Because I think by the time we got the epidural, I was at like a three. So it wasn't progressing very fast at all. And um, once we got the epidural, it went much faster. Because like my body was able to, to relax. relax. Mm-hmm. And because like I'm a very... I'm not uptight, but my body's tense and I'm a very anxious person. So my body was definitely reacting to it all. And yeah, the epidural, like we went much faster. So I think it was, it was nine o'clock when we finally became fully dilated, but back, well, back to the epidural. Um, some women react by like their blood pressure really drop out when they get the epidural. And that happened for us. Um, so then, of course, it meant like lower oxygen for the baby. And so like his heartbeat started dropping out. My blood pressure dropped a lot. So that it, then it was like they're constantly like, we need you to move in this way, in this way, in this way. We need to get you in these positions, get you on oxygen to get you and baby back to being okay. And of course, like when you're in it, they were so calm. Of course, they're used to it. They're so calm. They just told us what we needed to do. We did it, and then it was afterwards that we're like, oh, that was actually pretty serious. But everything was fine after that. Um, I couldn't really labor on my back. I had to be sitting up or like on one of my sides or on my hands and knees um, because Riker's heart rate would start dropping out during a contraction if I was on my back. He did not like that position, period. So like we were on my side with a peanut ball. We were hands and knees, which was horrible that felt horrible mm. i hated it and see hands and knees was perfect for me but i didn't have an epidural yeah well so, like of course when you have an epidural you also you can't get up right. you're no longer able to get up but um like we did the princess pose is what they called it so you're sitting like super high with like the legs down further and all that um but yeah labor progressed much faster after that um but it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock was when they're like, okay, you're fully dilated. Let's start pushing. So we did. Um, just, you know, watching those contractions, pushing, and, you know, poop, all that good stuff. You know what's happening, but it's just try to ignore it. There, I saw somewhere like, if you're doing that, you're doing it right. And it's like, that's good to know. Because that's, that's something I realized, like, even just today, that. I somewhat was blaming myself for what ended up happening. Like, was I pushing hard enough? Was I doing it right? Um, Because after an hour of pushing, they said, he's not, he's not moving. 
every time you have a contraction, every time you push, his heart rate's dropping out. They had to put a D-cell monitor in his head while we were pushing, just to make sure that he wasn't in distress. And um, so it was at that point that they're like, we need to do a C-section before, you know, things get worse. So, like, luckily we already had the epidural. So it was basically just get everything prepped and go. Um, but yeah, so like I found myself just today realizing that I'd been somewhat blaming myself, like that we ended up having a C-section. But then I saw that, you know, like if you're pooping while you push, then you're doing it right. And it's like, okay, well then I guess I was doing it right. But it wasn't, it wasn't my fault. His head was crooked and the cord was around his neck twice. So every time we pushed, it would basically choke him. Yeah. So he was struggling. But so, yeah, we ended up with a C-section. Um, everything went pretty quick once we got that figured out. Like, I think it was like 11, 1130 when they decided that it was it was time for that. And this is PM. So by the time we got to that point, we'd been in labor for about, what, 7.30 to 11.30, so 16 hours. Um, they got us to the OR. My epidural was a little off-center, so it meant like I could feel more on my left side. And it's so, like when they did the pinch test, I could still feel it. Um, so they were considering putting me under so I wouldn't feel anything. But we ended up making it. They they like tipped the table to help the epidural move certain directions. And they they got it to the point and it was like they said we could go ahead and start and if you feel it, we can put you under. And I'm like, well, how long is it gonna take you to put me under? Oh, 15 minutes. Well, you could just be done by then. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, so while we were waiting on um like the respiratory team, whatever, to get there they finally got it to the point that they could just proceed. And so he was born at 12.02 midnight. So he was just barely made it to Tuesday. And um, healthy, six pounds, 13 ounces. Um, his name is Riker Atticus. He was 19 inches long, um, full head of hair, but he was he's perfect, you know, no issues, no issues at all. Um, when it was just a normal hospital stay, he did, uh, he choked on some fluids the first night. And of course I had just had a C-section. I couldn't, I couldn't get him. And he was on my side of the bed. And so Neil like frantically had to go get him. I, apparently that's more of a thing with the C-section baby because they don't get that squeeze on the way out to like help push the amniotic fluid out. So they're more likely to choke a little. But he was totally fine, you know. Um, so we got, let's see, we got released on Thursday, sent home. So we went in Monday, went home Thursday. And since this was during the pandemic, like, were you even allowed to have visitors no. at the hospital? Yeah, no. I didn't think so. It was just me and Neil, which was totally fine. Like, um, we had planned on only really letting my parents come, like, maybe super close friends, maybe, but we wanted to fairly laid back hospital stay, especially after having a C-section. Um, but no, it was just me and Neil. And that ended up being how it was with Eli as well. Like, uh, 
siblings could come. So we're like, oh, cool. Riker could come in and meet him. They have to be 13. So it's like, well, cool. So nope, it was just me and Neil for Eli's birth as well. Um, we did have like one incident in the hospital because, of course, like we video chatted with both parent, both sets of grandparents. Um, but we had one point like Neil had gone home to feed the cats, take a shower or whatever. And a nurse came in. It was right after Riker's hearing test. And a nurse came in and was like, oh, the the other nurse wanted me to come check his coloring. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He was asleep. He was perfectly asleep in the bassinet. And she unswaddles him, wakes him up. He's screaming bloody murder. Looks at him like she didn't introduce herself. Nothing. And then just leaves. And it's like, excuse me? Yeah. So, of course, Neil got back and he could tell I was really agitated. And he went off. He went to the nurse's station and was like, I need I need her. I need to speak to her right now. And they're like, oh, well, she's over in labor and delivery helping with the birth. And it's like, wasn't very happy after that. But, yep. Yeah, so, got released Thursday. Friday. So, the hospital we go to, you go back in the next day to the breastfeeding clinic just for, like, a weight check, um, check on mom's well-being. Um, we had to do a bilirubin check. And we ended up getting readmitted for jaundice. So the hardest part with that, because like I had jaundice as a baby as well. So like I knew I did too. I knew what it was. I knew it wasn't serious. Um, I knew it was easy to treat. I I wasn't worried about that. I mean, like your mom heart still worries. Well, sure. Yeah. It's still because you know, like you you are just flooded with hormones. So you still get upset. But um with the one visitor rule, when when we were in for the birth, it meant Neil was the one visitor. Because I was the patient, and technically so was Riker. But when it was Riker going in for jaundice, he was the patient. He could have one visitor. Which meant just you or just, Neil. Yep, just oh. me. And like since I was since we were breastfeeding, it was just me. And you know, like I'm not even five days post-op from major abdominal surgery. And it was it was horrible. At one point, like, the nurse came in, and I was bawling. And she's like, is there anything I can do? It's like, no, there's really not. Yeah, you can bring my husband here, but yeah. you people won't let me do that. They, they did let him come up and stay for way longer than they should have. It wasn't until they're like, I'm really sorry, we we have to make you leave because if other families were to see this, see this, yeah, it would cause issues. Um, so that that sucked. Thankfully, it was only a twenty four hour stay. We were home the next day, and he was fine. Um, which seeing your little you know newborn get their poor little heels pricked over and over to check their Billy Rubin sucks, but. Um, I don't remember when, like, the postpartum anxiety set in, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. Um, I know at one point we were speaking to the, one of the doctors at the pediatrician's office, and she was talking to me about it. She's like, you need to, you need to do this. You need to, because I dropped like 25 pounds really fast. 
And she's like, that's too much. That's too much. You need to eat. You need to take care of yourself. That's too much. And, um, cause like, I was just really struggling, just really. And like at that point, Neil was off that first week, especially with the being a C-section, he was off that whole first week. And then, um, so it's just me and Riker after that. Cause like my mom was working and then on her off day, she was helping my dad with the painting business he had started when he retired. And so that was just, it was just me. And Sarah could uh, attest to the fact that there was a day that was so bad that I was like, hey, I I need someone. And she picked up her work and brought it to my house and sat with us that day. Yeah, because the good thing about being in IT, which is the industry I'm in, mm-hmm. I literally can work from anywhere. Yeah. So the minute you called, I was just like, well, that's a no-brainer. Duh. Yeah. Well, especially like... <laughs> You know, when the pandemic has already started and, oh, we need people to work from home. Like, okay, sweet. Cool. Um, So that really sucked. Uh, I was already on Zoloft. Like, I'd been on Zoloft before we even got pregnant. Like, yeah, because going into it, you knew that you were yeah. likely going to need yeah. some help. Yeah, because I already struggle with anxiety on an everyday basis. So, like, I'm I'm already medicated all the time. Um. I ended up increasing my dose because I was on 50 milligrams the entire time I was pregnant. Um, I don't remember when I increased to 100, um, but I did. I think it was like fairly into postpartum. I didn't increase right away. But like I spoke to one of the therapists through the OB's office. We did not click in the slightest. It was one of those, like one of the biggest things postpartum is that the mom tends to lose their identity. You know, like just suddenly you're mom and that's all you are. Well, and of course, when I was speaking to her, she would refer to Riker by his name. She would refer to my husband by his name. But every time she referred to me or spoke to me, it was mom. She'd never use my name. And it's like, that's not okay. When you're speaking to a postpartum mom who's having an identity crisis of who the fuck am I now? Mm. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard. But... Um, just, it was a lot of crying, like, especially when Neil would come home, just the relief of having him back home. Um, and like Riker was a fairly easy baby. Like he wasn't hard. There's, it's kind of funny after having Eli, like you look back at certain things and you're like, damn. Cause like we, we ended up medicating for reflux and like, you know, you, you second guess yourself, like, do, does he really need this? Is it really bad enough? that we need to medicate him for this. But like, it became a joke, even to like our daycare providers of like the son wouldn't hold him until he had spit up after his bottle because they knew he was going to spit up after his bottle. It was just one of those, like, it was a given. And it would be so like projectile over your shoulder while you're holding him. And there's just this nice big splat on the floor. When, of course, they say, like, it looks like a lot more than it really is. And that's fair. But another thing they don't tell you postpartum, babies do not like to sleep on their back. But how are we supposed to lay our babies down? On their back. On their back. Yeah. And I don't know if if you approached it, and I'm sure we've talked about it at one point, but it seemed like the only way I would get rest mm-hmm. is when she was asleep on me. Yeah. So Riker, at first, he would sleep in the swing. So how we ended up doing it was um, 
Neil would stay up until about midnight every night. And of course, this is, you know, he has to get up about five or six in the morning to go to work the next day. But he'd stay up till about midnight so I could go get some sleep. And he was out there watching Riker sleep, making sure he was okay while he's in the swing. And then I would get up and be with him the rest of the night. Um, And I had the, like, I do not move much when I sleep. So, like, I had the luxury of I would back myself up in the couch and, like, lay him down in front of me. So I knew he wasn't going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And, like, I could doze off. And he would nurse and sleep at the same time. So, like, we were both getting sleep at that point. Um, so he would sleep in the swing. And then finally, one of our friends, well, I guess not friend, uh, my brother and sister-in-law had a rock and play which of course those have been recalled and of course. all that stuff because people were putting their children in it when they were big enough to roll over, mm. which you're not supposed to do. Like, don't be stupid. <laughs> but those things are like magic because they're at an incline. Imagine that. And they have sides that are nice and close in. So like both boys slept very well in that. And Riker slept in that until after I went back to work and I went back at 12 weeks. So we switched him to that, and then we were both able to, like, I still, like, we were still keeping him out in the living room, so, like, we could kind of do the, like, I would go to bed for a bit, and then Neil would kind of deal. And then closer to when we went, I went back to work, we moved him back into our bedroom so we could both sleep. And he was there in the rock and play, but he was always with us. So we could hear him. And like, we were one of those like, oh, we're going to put him in his crib from the beginning. And oh, hell no. Yeah, that we had something That's like that joke. too. That just, yeah, That's that went joke. out the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did get him switched to a crib. And what we ended up doing is like, we had seen that for babies that struggle with reflux, you can put their mattress at an incline. So like what you do is you put a pillow underneath one end of the mattress. Well, then of course, like your baby's going to roll to the other end of the mattress. So I'm like, what in the world are we going to do? Like, it's hard for him to sleep on his back because he has reflux. So what we ended up doing was I cut a pool noodle and made like, like tied it to the mattress in a U shape and tucked him into that U so he couldn't roll and he couldn't slide. And then the sheet went over it. But it also wasn't like up at his face. Like it stopped at his shoulder. So it wasn't up at his face. And I'm like, ha. Huh suck it like honestly i feel like that's brilliant i worked around you guys <laughs> he's on his back in his crib nothing near his face <laughs> suck it and sleeping so yeah and uh swaddles swaddles are lifesavers get the velcro ones get the zip ones don't don't swaddle with a blanket get the they'll ones. find a way out they're yeah they're yeah. not they're little houdinis they'll get out of it yeah like i don't care if you say your kid does not like a swaddle yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Being confined like that for their first yeah. nine months. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell me they Think don't. About how many, like, even as adults, like, Sarah is sitting on my dad's weighted blanket right now. Mm-hmm. Because, Pretty cozy. Because it, one, it helps prevent the moral reflex from waking them up. Two, something like that suppresses the nervous system and helps you calm down. That's why when you are upset, a hug feels so good is because it, it puts pressure on your nervous system and it helps you calm down. So... Yes, your kid likes a swaddle. You just don't. Yeah. Mm. No shame. No shame, Kay. I'm sure some kids really don't. 
Yeah, but I mean, when you're in the throes of it, and all you know is you've got a screaming kid. Yes. Yes. You, you're just going to con- you're going to conclude to yeah. whatever the easiest solution is. Yeah. And that is an easy one. So well, and of course, like then the whole like pooping and farting thing. Oh, my goodness. Um, Which did he have a period where he didn't poop for a while? Yeah, he was one of those babies. Um, sometimes it's hard for their bodies to figure out um, how to get their muscles to work in unison. So to poop or fart, you need your sphincter, your rectum to work. And also the muscles that like move things out. And so like some babies, those don't work together. Like their body has to figure that out. And that was definitely Riker's problem. And so it just, it just took a while for his body to be like, oh, right. This is how we do it. And like once, once we got past that, it was fine. Um, but yeah, he was a fairly easy baby. It was just like the postpart, like we knew that postpartum depression and anxiety were a very high possibility for us and it happened and it sucked. How soon did it really hit you? I think fairly quick. Um, I think definitely within the first two weeks. Uh, Cause I mean, like Neil went to work that first week or went back to work after that first week. And I think that's, you know, like when I didn't have someone there, um, cause it is, it is so much easier to handle when someone else is there. Yeah, and even if they're not doing anything and they're just present. Yeah. Like they don't they don't like the so the newborn stage, there's a lot that other people can't do. Cause that baby wants mom, even if you're not breastfeeding, that baby wants mom. Because mom is all they know. But well, and if you think about it. Mom really is all they need for those first couple weeks. Yeah. And it, mom's all they know. Like mom is the smell they know. Mom's the feel they know. Mom's the sound they know. Like they may know dad's voice, but past that, mom is all they know. And, but other people are there to take care of mom. And that's just it. Like I was listening to another podcast yesterday while I was putting away my mountains of laundry. And they were talking about like when babies are sick. All they want is mom, because mom's the default parent in a lot of cases. I'm sure there's exceptions. right. Mom, more like the default comfort is yes. like how I like yes. to put it. Because moms are the nurturing ones in most cases, and so like when they're sick, they need mom. And like you know, they're talking about how like sometimes dads will just go off and do their own thing because well, baby just wants mom. And it's like I get it because that's painful for dad too that the children just want mom. Like I've seen it on my husband's face that you know it hurts when the child only wants mom and like our oldest has been, you know, especially since having Eli Riker has definitely had that and it's rough, but, and it's rough on both parents, but, um, so like the newborn stage or when the kids are sick, when they just want mom, the other person is there to help take care of mom. Exactly. And that's, I think I had trouble communicating that in the beginning and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I always said, if I were to do this again, I would make it a point to communicate more of my needs. Because really, if you think about it, if mom's taken care of, then so is that baby. Yeah. Because if mom is really all they need for food, for comfort, for warmth, for Mm -hmm. basically their necessities, as long as mom is good, then that baby's fine. Yeah. And I can say like, even if you don't have someone that is available to be there in person, um, set up a FaceTime. Like just, even if you don't talk, like just... 
having someone that is there, not even physically, just having someone that you know that is is present. I think I hear Riker. <laughs> I think I hear talking rather than just little kid noises. <laughs> um, which, yeah, so Riker's almost three. I was say, he's big boy now. Yeah, he's almost three. We're just a... Oh my goodness, we're five weeks away from him being three. Holy cow. You know, it's easy to forget because, of course, he's at the beginning of the month. And we're almost beginning of March. Um, And Eli is... So that means he's almost 16 months. Um, Yeah, so our boys are 19 months apart. Um, But so, yeah, postpartum life definitely started to get better when I went back to work. I took the full two weeks. Not two weeks. Good Lord. That oh, that would have been bad. <laughs> Don't ever do that, moms. <laughs> yeah, I had a C-section. So I had eight weeks anyway. So that's how our, our my employer handles it. If it's a natural birth, it's six weeks. If it's a, a cesarean section, it's eight. Because, of course, you are also recovering from major surgery. Um, I took the full 12 because that's what we're allowed through FMLA. You're allowed 12. Um, and I'm really glad I did. I'm really glad I did. Then, so when I went back to work, that's when things really started to get a bit better because I was able to have time away to be me, to be someone other than mom. And like, I wasn't the mom that cried dropping my kid off at daycare the first day. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> See you this afternoon. <laughs> It helped that I only went back to work for like two days and then it was a holiday weekend. So, cause I went back to work the first week of July and the family that was watching him for the first month, it was supposed to be the first few months, but, um, they weren't sure what was going on school wise with the pandemic. The pandemic. Yeah. Um, so they ended up watching him for the first month. Um, but it's really close friends that, you know, I watched their kids when they were young and they're my parents' neighbors. Um, and then through them, we were able to find someone else who we also know from our hometown and from church to watch him because they were home because their school was doing remote and they had four kids. So she was home. And so she watched Riker for us. And that was, it was perfect. Like couldn't have asked for something better. Um, it's been amazing. The, the hands that God has had in my life of, like you can always tell, like things just fall into place. You're like, oh my goodness, like that's that's definitely you know like a gift from God. But yes, going back to work helped a lot. Um, and then after that, like our biggest thing with Riker was sleep, was just getting him to sleep. And um, it was around the time that Trump and all that, you know, like all the election stuff was going on, that um, we found taking care of babies. And we started seeing all of her stuff and, you know, like started learning more about baby sleep and wake windows. Oh my goodness. Who know who knew that was a thing? And so we started learning all this stuff and, um, we knew we wanted a two year age gap for our boys. So when we got to, it was like March we decided to start trying again. So Riker, it was just before, like five weeks before Riker turned one. Um, we decided to, decided to start trying again for 
because of course with Riker, it took us five months to conceive. So we weren't expecting it to happen right away. Well, first try, first try, we got pregnant with Eli. (laughs) So the boys are 19 months apart. And of course, like I knew, I knew right away, like I had a day that I felt nauseous and I'm like, I'm, I'm pregnant. I am. And Neil's like, there's no way it didn't happen that fast. It's too soon. And it was like a week before my predicted period. Cause at that time I had like a five week cycle, but I always ovulated three weeks before my period actually started rather than the two that they say it always is. So like I knew it was early enough to test. So I had, we were going to pick up Sonic, which is really close to where we live. And there's a Walgreens on the way. So I was like, hey mom, can we stop at Walgreens? I need to pick something up. So I went in, got a test, hid it in my purse, got lunch, came back home, took the test right there. Okay, not in the living room. I wouldn't yeah, do don't do that. Right then. I took it right then. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure enough, I was pregnant. And so we're sitting there eating lunch, just, you know, Riker, Neil, mom, me. And actually, I think Riker was napping. But, and I'm like kind of sitting there like staring at Neil like, oh my. Huh. So we finish eating, we're cleaning everything up. Neil and I are in the kitchen by ourselves. And I'm like, I'm pregnant. No, I was, he's like, I was not expecting that. And he's like, well, I am. And so, surprise. Yeah. So we went and told my mom, because of course she was there. She drove me to get the test unknowingly. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, but that takes us back to sleep because I decided I wanted to do the sleep course through taking care of babies because, you know, here I am five weeks pregnant and I'm miserable. I have morning sickness and I can't sleep. I'm not getting the sleep I need to feel better. And I told Neil, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like something needs to change. And he thought I was crazy. He thought I was, I was, I was crazy for paying for this course. We ended up doing the frowned upon thing of splitting the cost with friends and like sharing it. They didn't really end up using it and they never paid us back for it. So we didn't really do that, but that was the plan. Um, either way, it was worth every single penny. Every single penny to do a structured sleep training. And we're not talking cry it out. Like it's just, it, it is, it's like a modified cry it out. And that's what I tell people too, because we didn't yeah. we didn't do that specific course. We did something different, but yeah, but it's the same concept. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just yeah. not through the same lady we right. did it through. Um, but yeah, it's you know you you teach them because like as Kara would put it, if you put them to sleep in your arms and then lay them down, that's and then like they wake up in their bed. That's like you going to sleep in your bed and waking up in your neighbor's yard. Like you'd be freaked the fuck out. <laughs> and so yeah. And then, and of course, that's what we were doing. And it was getting to the point where it would take us an hour plus to get him to go to sleep at night because he was just, he was fighting it so hard. Even if it was the appropriate time for him to go to bed, he was fighting it that hard. Um, and then she also would talk about, she's like, you don't just like pick up your stuff, go lay down in bed and go to sleep. You yeah, I don't a, know anybody that does that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, you have a routine, whether you realize it or not, you know, like. Neil and I will watch TV. We'll decide it's time for bed. I'll go downstairs and get outfits for the next day, lay them out. Then it's, you know, you go back, you brush your teeth, you go to the bathroom, you get a drink, you take your pills for your sanity. <laughs> you you go to bed, you play on your phone, you read a book, whatever. 
you have your routine. Whether it's a healthy one or not, you have one. She's like, you need to set up a routine, about a 30-minute routine for bed. So it communicates to them that we are winding down to go to bed. And then it's like you would lay them down and in there. So, you know, if they use a pacifier with a pacifier, if they're old enough with a blanket, with a, a lovey. So for Riker, we found out he was attached to his burp rags because they had always been there. If he's taking a nap, there's a burp rag. Chances are he just spit up or he's going to spit up. And so he was attached to his burp rags, which we eventually changed to a blanket. So kid loves his blankets. And then he has a stuffed cow now. No. Um, yeah. It's the Dr. Seuss brown cow. Yeah. Loves the cow. Um, so he has a blanket and cow. Because it's a comfort item. So if they wake up in the middle of the night, they still have it. And she she actually encourages pacifiers. Of course, not all kids will take one, but she encourages them. Um, Riker was all about the pacifier. Loves it. Like he would have it all day long. We took it away when he was between two, two and a half. Um, which at first was pretty rough for him, but he got over it. But so the sleep plan worked within three days. Like it's a two week course and it worked within three days. He was putting himself to sleep without crying and he was sleeping through the night because of course he was waking multiple times a night because we let him go to sleep on us and he'd freak out when he was in his bed. So once he was going to sleep in his bed and waking up in his bed, he was fine. Makes all the difference. Yep. And he had the tools to put himself back to sleep. So finally, I could get, you know, 10 plus hours of sleep a night. And that's what I needed. And so that was, that was truly a godsend. You know, like it was, it was worth every penny. So to you new parents out there, if you've been debating spending the money or finding the budget to purchase a sleep course, just do it. Yeah, it's worth it. Like you, you, you will be a better parent. With the need, the sleep that you need, and also, like health wise, your baby needs that sleep. Um, they will develop so much better if they're getting the sleep they need, because it's eleven hours at night, and then about two to three hours during the day is the ideal amount of sleep for a child, and it's insane. Like, like you are a better parent, and they're a better kid for it. And it even, like, it translates to naps. As soon as you have it figured out at night, like, it just, it easily transitions to naps as well. And granted, there's, you know, there's always the one-offs. I mean, every kid yeah. is different, but for yeah. the most part. Which it, we'll cover that with Ela. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, I feel like if they're getting the sleep they need at night, yeah, and like it falls way, into place. Yeah. And the way Kara talks about it, she said, like, this method tends to work for 98% of people. She said, and usually the 2% that it doesn't, it's because there's an unknown health problem that is affecting their sleep. And that brings us to Eli. Um, so his real name is Elias Alexander. He has gone by Eli his entire life, uh, which is funny because Neil's like, I'm not calling my kid Eli. And of course, he's been Eli. And he is. He is an Eli. Like, it fits him so well. Um Pregnancy with him was almost like textbook, just like Riker, almost exactly the same. This time, our placenta was posterior, so I felt everything. You felt everything? <laughs> everything. Like, oh my goodness, that kid moved. <laughs> it was insane, like, watching him move. Um, 
But uh, we did end up with gestational diabetes, which was fine. Like for me, it was fine. It was completely controlled through diet. We basically did like a modified keto and it was great. Um, It was a pain having to check my blood sugar all the time, but it ended up being really easy for us. And I think in the end, it was a good thing because it meant like my weight ended up not going as high as it could have. Because like I hadn't lost all the weight from having Riker and it just like really, I think it made the pregnancy let's go smoother at the end there. Um, with him, I definitely had a lot more lightning crotch. Which that, oh, oh my gosh, I, kept, I didn't know about that until it happened. It was nuts. pushing on my cervix and I'm like, dude, stop knocking on the door. You can't come out yet. Like just, oh my goodness, it would hurt. And, but like past that, it was almost exactly the same as Riker. Um, The morning sickness, it felt worse, but that's because like I said, I couldn't sleep as much. Um, And we traveled to Texas when I was like eight weeks pregnant because we had, we were supposed to go in February, but uh, Neil ended up injuring his back. So we had to push it back to April. So we were actually in Texas over Riker's birthday. And so when we ended up actually going, it was like 100 degrees, and I was really struggling to get food in me, to stay hydrated, and it was hot. So I was like, I have PTSD from that trip. Between like the 20 plus hours in the car, both ways, and it was it was miserable. So bad. And that was before the sleep training too, so like Riker wasn't sleeping. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> we did the sleep training when he was 13 months. And like, he's been an incredible sleeper ever since like transitioning to a toddler bed and everything has, has been a joke because it's been so easy. Um, but since, so let's see, we, Eli's birth was scheduled for, I think he was due on either a Saturday or Sunday and his C-section was scheduled for that Friday because they didn't get it scheduled when they should have. So it ended up at the end of the week rather than the beginning of the week or whatever. And I was like, well, I don't think I'll make it that long, but okay, whatever. At least there's an end in sight. Because I was so ready to be done. Mm. He also, he sat a lot lower than Riker did. Like Riker was always up high and Eli sat lower. Hence also why he was constantly pushing on my cervix. Little turd. He's an honorary little turd. He is so honorary. Um, but my mom had reminded me when I was like 38 weeks, she's like, hey, we have a concert this weekend, just so you remember. Uh, we'll be in Can- Kansas City with your brother and sister-in-law, which was our backup for when I, we went into labor, if like my parents ended up not being available, because they were the ones that were going to watch Riker while we were in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, great. That's going to be when I end up going into labor is when you guys are in Kansas City. Which is like what? A two hour drive? Uh, it depends on where. But yeah, hour, hour and a half, two hours, depending on like usually hour, hour and a half. Um, so I had just gotten dinner on the table. I went to go feed the cats. I bent over and my water broke everywhere. That time it was like in the movies. It broke everywhere. Um. 
So like I walk back into the dining room area and I'm standing over like a pile of dirty clothes or a blanket or a towel. I don't remember. And like I call my mom and she's like, we're in Kansas City already. And uh, of course, my brother was possibly going to stay home because they were trying to find someone to watch the kids. But they ended up just getting two more tickets and taking the kids. So we had called my brother and we're like, He's like, no, we're we're with them. I was like, okay. Well, so I called Jennifer. And Jennifer was able to come. Like, they had just gotten home from I don't remember where. And so the very first night that she spent away from her daughter, who was nine months old at this time. No, I love it. She was almost one. Um, First night she spent away, it was for us to be with Riker so we could go to the hospital. And my water broke at 6.15. Yeah. So Neil and Riker were eating while we were waiting on everyone to, you know, for Jennifer to show up. And I was finishing packing everything. And, of course, I didn't get to eat my delicious meal because, of course, we knew we were going in for a C-section. So I knew I was going in for surgery. And I'm like, I can't eat. I know they would prefer it if I don't. And, like, my body handles anesthesia really well. So that was one of the worst things with Riker is like I hadn't eaten in over 24 hours by the time we had him. And they wouldn't let me eat even afterwards because they're like, oh, you're on a limited diet because of the anesthesia and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't like anesthesia doesn't bother me. Bring me food. And then you're on a, like a restricted diet. Like you can only have certain things. Like I couldn't have meat with my breakfast. I could have oatmeal with blueberries. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks, guys. Some protein would be great. Just had a baby, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, like my body's just got to recover, but whatevs. Um, but yeah, so water broke 6.15. We got to the hospital 7.15. He was born at 9.15. And uh, that time again, you know, like water broke everywhere. I had an adult diaper on so I could get stuff done around the house before leaving. We were able to put Riker to bed before we left. So that was good. So Jennifer had a really easy job. You know, she's got to watch TV and hang out (laughs) mommy night off you know but um so like if you're going in for a known c-section they do like a spinal block instead of an epidural i hated every second of that like my body reacted to it different and i found it really uncomfortable like i felt like i couldn't breathe but i I knew i was because my vitals were fine i knew they weren't freaking out so i knew i was breathing And I told the anesthesiologist that I'm like, hey, it feels like I can't breathe. Like, I know I am, but it feels like I can't. Just so you know. Um, But he was born, no issues at all. Um, Yeah, he was seven pounds, six ounces, 39 weeks on the dot. Um, Like 19 and a half inches. I think they measured him at 21 inches but when we went to the pediatrician the week later he was not 21 inches and i'm like yeah i know (laughs) he was probably 19 and a half i think is what he actually was um so almost the exact same size as Riker, and just they looked like twins when they were born they look nothing really like now they look quite different but when they were newborns they looked identical um Our hospital stay was shorter. I think we ended up going home 
see, because we had him on a Saturday. I think we got home Monday. Um, so much shorter, because of course, we'd already been through it all. And they had no reason to keep us. Everything was fine. The second C-section was a lot easier. You know, like I hadn't labored for 16 hours. Um, my body knew, my body had been through it before. So like soreness was a lot less. Recovery was a lot easier. Um, Eli was a much easier baby. He ended up being borderline for jaundice, but because he was born at 39 weeks. His risk for that was lower. So he didn't have to get admitted. Um, But his weight did drop 10%. So we were happy to go in and do weight checks all the time. Um, Which was, it was hard, but, you know, he gained the weight back. And he's he's just our little guy. Um, let's see. He was breastfed for, Riker was five and a half months when I stopped because I didn't produce enough. Um, so we, all, we were always half and half or, you know, a quarter and three quarters, whatever. I didn't produce enough. Um, so Eli, I ended up going seven and a half months. My goal was six, but this was during the, you know, the formula shortage of 21 22. It was 22. Was it 22? Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. Well, he was born either. at the end of 21. Yeah. So it was 22. But so we we did breastfeeding longer than we would have. But and I was producing a bit more with him than I did Riker. Still not no nowhere near enough. But um, so seven and a half months, we transitioned to just formula. And we were using one from a different country. Um. And when we went in for his nine-month appointment, he was diagnosed with failure to thrive because he wasn't gaining weight the way he needed to Which, be. Which, that'll make you feel like a yeah. wonderful parent. Well, and that was like the doctor said. He's like, it sounds a lot worse than it is. It basically just means he's not gaining weight. And it, he's like, it might just be a calorie deficit. He's like, it could be something else. We'll do some blood work just to make sure. But it could just be a calorie deficit. He's not getting enough calories. And that's when we found out that, um, and Eli's always been a little iffy on food, because of course by this time he was on table food as well. But he's always been a bit iffy towards food, whereas Riker was a human garbage disposal. Um, so we found out we were we weren't mixing his formula strong enough, because like pretty much every formula available in the U.S. is one scoop of formula per two ounces of water. This one was one scoop per ounce. So we found out we weren't mixing it enough or strong enough. Um, So we started to, but then he ended up with severe diarrhea, um, like burn his butt diarrhea. And that's when we found out he's lactose intolerant. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. So we switched him to a goat's milk formula because it's a little bit lower in lactose than cow's milk. And then we were putting... Um, like we would pre-mix his formula and put a lot like lactose pills in it to help digest or lactose enzyme in it to help digest that lactose before he drank it. Um, and that helped, like it was still an issue, but it helped. Um, but he had not slept through the night at all, never. And like he would wake up just pissed off. But, you know, like once you find out that your kid's lactose intolerant, you start to understand like, well, they're really uncomfortable and their main source of calories right now is milk. And um, this was something really 
disappointing in the mom, parent, whatever community was. I googled like support groups for parents of children that are lactose intolerant, like young children. So of course it's like, what do you feed your kids? How do you handle this? And the only response I got was, um, infants can't be lactose intolerant because breast milk contains lactose. Uh huh. And it's like, well, bet me buckwheat because my kid's lactose intolerant. Well, and, and what gets me there, it's like, okay, babies are humans too. Yeah. Humans, adults, grown, older children are capable of lactose intolerance. So why wouldn't an infant? Yeah. And it's, I, mm. yeah. Yeah, I was really frustrated with that. Um, and we ended up, like, the doctor wasn't super helpful in that regard either. Like, there's medical tests they can do for it, but a lot of it's just, like, figuring it out. Um, one of the things I saw was, and this is how we finally, you know, figured out for sure, was, and this is, you know, like, the diaper rash. When you change their diaper immediately after they pooped, but they still have diaper rash. And it's because when you're lactose intolerant, your poop ends up acidic if you've had too much lactose. So it literally burns your butt. And that's what was happening to him. Um, so, of course, you know, I'm a chemist. So we had pH strips at work. So I brought some home and I checked his poop. Sure enough, it was acidic. So it's like, yeah, this is our problem. And um, it was a few days before he turned one. We, we ran out of formula and I'm like, I'm not buying anymore. We, it's not going to make a difference for a few days. You know, he's one. Let's, let's stop. So we started doing homemade plant milk and um, lactose-free milk, which still has lactose in it, but it's like three milligrams instead of 12. It's kind of like decaf coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's how I describe it to people. <laughs> I'm like, it's like decaf coffee. There's still some, but it's because like if Eli has just straight lactose-free milk, he will react. But if we do like 50-50, he's okay. Um, as soon as we switched off a of formula, he started sleeping through the night. And it was like night and day difference in him. And like this kid, like I've, I've described him to people as the sun shines out that kid's ass. He is so happy. He is a happy baby. Like you'd never know it, that he was in pain or anything like that. He is so happy. Um, the hardest part was sleep for him because he was uncomfortable. But especially now that he's off lactose, he's off dairy. He's he's great. He's so happy. Um, and his sleep is so much better. Like he's he so we started the sleep training really young with him. Um, we started doing like the laying him down awake and letting him put himself to sleep. He could always do that. It was getting himself back to sleep, or like he'd wake up so upset. He that, would need the extra comfort. Yeah, he'd need the extra comfort. And of course, he's a little guy. So he needed food. He needed calories. So he, like, even now he'll still wake up for a bottle in the middle of the night because um, he's he's hungry. Like, he's always been fifth percentile. He's always small. And, of course, like, the postpartum anxiety really, really gets me with that because I'm always so scared that he's going to end up back in the failure to thrive bracket. And so, like, I'm not... I'm not taking that away from him. If he wakes up and he wants a bottle, he can have it. I'm not taking that away. Um, but yeah, 
as soon as as soon as he like he can he's a little pro he takes fantastic naps he sleeps great at night you can get him up in the middle of the night he'll have his bottle he'll still be awake you lay him down he goes back to sleep so that's why it's like i'm not worried about it if it was just him waking up and wanting a cuddle but like if you try to sit there with him and not give him a bottle mm-mm, he lets you know but postpartum with him the depression the anxiety it was much worse it was much worse um even being on like a higher dose already so i was on 100 milligrams but i ended up going up to 150 earlier than i increased after riker um so i went up to 150 on zoloft and but so it was much harder but it was a lot easier because my mom retired the year after Riker was born. So my mom was there every day. Every day she would drive into our house and spend the entire day with us. Like pretty much just shortly after Neil would leave for work, my mom would show up. And she stayed until he got home. Because also, like we meant for Riker to go to daycare the entire time that I was on at home on maternity leave. So I could just focus on Eli, focus on taking care of myself. But they ended up with COVID and they're a family of six and it slowly worked its way through the entire family. And so almost the entire time that I was on maternity leave, they were dealing with it. So we ended up just keeping him home and my mom was just there the entire time. So like I always had someone with me, always. So that part made it, there was, it was night and day difference. Um, like my mom watched me cry, of course, you know, like I'd cry, but I had to laugh. Like Neil would always ask, like, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. You just got to. Or like, you're just looking at him like, why, why are you crying? Because I love you. Yep. <laughs> like I'm literally crying because I thought about how much I love you. Mm-hmm. And well, you see the, you see the result. I'm bawling. But, um, so that was postpartum with Eli. I don't remember when it got, well, okay. So I was about to say, I don't know when it got better, but um, about a month ago. So Eli's 16 months almost, 15 and a half, whatever. But it was definitely more drawn out. um, And it only got better because I changed medication. I got off of Zoloft and I switched to Cymbalta. And it's only gotten better then. It didn't help. I also got into a massive car accident. Okay, one small car accident and one massive car accident within a few months. Um, that was really hard. But yeah, it's I I feel like a human being again, um, and it just started. So yeah, Eli was supposed to be our last. I want another. Neil's not sure. Um, which after going through all of that. And you're you're still thinking about a third is is <laughs> beyond me because I'm I'm kind of over here like one and done. But yeah. um, I, they're incredible, like watching them grow and learn and become their own person is just like it's incredible. And I just I like to the center of my being. I feel like we're not done. Um. Yeah, I want another one. But we have at least a year before we can yeah. even try. So. so I guess going, knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. and you mentioned medication. Yes. And you mentioned going back to work. What other uh, coping strategies 
would you recommend? Uh, definitely have someone, like always have someone that you know you can get a hold of. Like it doesn't have to be the same person. Like um, if you're having a hard day, call someone, anyone to see if they can come over to just hang out. Like it's just, or even like I said, call someone on the phone, FaceTime, Skype, whatever. Just reach out to someone because that makes a huge difference. Just knowing, like like I said, postpartum with Eli was worse. But since I had someone there, it was totally different. Um, it was totally different. But um, I would also say, like, if you know that you already struggle with depression or anxiety, don't be afraid to have a plan. Like, so for me, I knew I already did. And I knew it was likely I was going to struggle. And like, I wasn't afraid to change my dose. I wasn't afraid to call my doctor and be like, hey, I'm not coping. I need, I need to change something. And um, like, if you don't want to do the medication route, there's other options. Speaking to a therapist, um, which also takes me to like my final point, find something that allows you to be you. And um, it's like when you spoke to the postpartum therapist author. Jasmine Emmerich. Yes. Mm -hmm. She's a runner. She's not a mom who runs. She's a runner. Find something that lets you be you. So whether that's your job or like for me, I love to cook. And right now it's a little hard because a lot of times when I'm in the kitchen, I end up with a child screaming at the baby gate because mom's in the kitchen and they're not. How dare you? Yeah. And Eli screams at like the highest decibels ever. Um, yeah, but find something that lets you be you. And like we talked about earlier, don't be afraid to communicate your needs to your significant other, to friends, to family. Like you're there to take care of the child. They're there to take care of you and don't stop them from doing it. Like don't gatekeep because we're really bad about that. Like, oh no, I'm fine. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't gatekeep. Let them help you. Um, one massive help to whether you are the person having the baby or you know someone who is, food. Like providing a meal makes a massive difference. Whether it be an actual meal that you dropped off or having a pizza delivered or like I know I've done it for Sarah and another friend that lived too far away. I sent them DoorDash money. Like, yeah, that was a good, one good thing that came out of the pandemic was the, mm -hmm. the meal delivery services yeah. and then all the, of course, you know, takeout stuff, which yeah. has, you know, pros and cons to it. But yeah, to a family who just had a kid, it's mm -hmm. a lifesaver. Order a grocery drop off, like order some groceries that can get dropped off at their home. Like anything, anything helps when it's especially with food, because it's one less thing for them to have to worry about. And preparing a meal when you have a newborn in the house or when you have multiple kids in the house is a whole different level of difficult. And like, it's taken something I enjoy to something that is really difficult <laughs> because there's a child screaming or there's a child that wants to help. Which is almost worse. Help. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you're like, don't burn yourself. Don't touch that. That's sharp. Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't do that. You're making a, like, you're making a mess, but it's okay if you make a mess. It's fine. Like, I try to tell him that all the time. Like, it's okay if you make a mess. It cleans up. It just cleans up. Exactly. 
But then it's also like you're trying to get dinner done, but they want to help. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, on top of all the the coping strategies, you would say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, um, obviously I want another one. <laughs> yeah, because you want another one. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. if you were anything like me, it just that was my biggest hang up was it never felt like I was going to hit because everyone always kept telling me, oh, it gets better, it gets better. There's you'll see that light. And it just it kept it kept getting frustrating because I could not see it. And that's like, that's one of the funny things like with parents saying that to new parents, like it gets better. And it's because like our brains, especially for a woman, we literally cannot remember that stage because our brains know that if we do, we're not having another we one. We won't have another one. That's probably why I'm at the point that I am now because my brain is still yeah. remembering all the stuff. Yeah. So it's like, we can't remember how it gets better, when it gets better, why it gets better, but it does. It gets better. Like Eli and Riker both can feed themselves. They can entertain themselves. They can both sleep on their own. No help. Um, you know, and like, especially when they reach the age where they can um, reciprocate, like they can communicate that they love you, you know, like when they come and willingly get cuddles from you, that like it, it's a whole new ball game when it's not just one-sided, like a one-sided love relationship. When it starts coming the other direction as well, that changes everything because you're not just pouring out, but you're being poured into. But there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. Like it gets so much better. And it's such a joy to watch them learn. Like one day we had Riker, there was a toy he wanted that was up on the shelf. And he picked up a pool noodle and knocked it off. Genius. Like, have, had we ever shown him that? Or had he seen us do that? No. And he just did it. And you're like, how, how are you that smart? <laughs> and it's just like, it's incredible watching them become their own person. Mm. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. So very good. Well, thanks for, for sharing. Sherry. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'll put some, I'll put some links in the show notes, but I like that you pointed out that just because you were already on medication, doesn't mean it it wasn't the right one and that's another thing that i think people hang up to is like if they're already taking medication and they find that it's no longer working mm -hmm. there are some moms that just write it off completely and think oh well, we'll just i've tried medication it wasn't for me well, well here's the thing sometimes it's a different medication right because like okay so zoloft is an ssri symbolta is an snri they work on different things um, but also like, so I was on 50 milligrams when I was pregnant with Riker and then I went up to a hundred because like your anxiety levels change when you have a kid. Suddenly you have a million more things to be anxious about. So yeah, you're going to need a little more help in that department. And especially if like you're predisposed. So yeah. And where I was going with that folks is that don't be afraid to talk to your provider if, if you feel like what's worked in the past is no longer working. It doesn't mean that your that medication is completely written off. It just means you need to come up with a different game plan and providers are equipped to help yep. you figure that out. So yep. do not be afraid to reach out. Um, and there's also, there's online resources as well. Um, I mentioned it quite a bit, but Postpartum Support International has free resources. And you can talk to a professional and they may not be necessarily a provider or a medical professional, but you can talk to professionals in the industry of postpartum care and perinatal mood disorders. So I'll link that again in my show notes like I always do. 
Um, and we appreciate y'all listening. Um, thanks again, Sherry, for your, your thoughts. And, uh, yeah, just know guys that, uh, it does get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, life just becomes something you never, you never thought it would be. And usually for the good. So, um, Tune in next week, or not next week, but tune in. Uh, uh, tune in uh, a couple weeks from now, and uh, we'll get to hear from Sherry's better half, Mr. <gasps> Neil. <laughs> How dare you? I know. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> uh, and we'll just we'll get another dad's perspective. Yay. So thanks again for listening, guys, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the postpartum wow. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support this podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and follow me on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow me on my Facebook page at The Postpartum Wife. This way you'll be notified when new episodes are dropped every other Tuesday. Feel free to also leave a review sharing what you liked best, and this will help other listeners know what to expect when checking out this podcast. Until next time, friends, may your messy buns be on point and your coffee stay warm. 